Hi, you're listening to the third episode of the podcast Challenging the Passport Privilege, the podcast about the struggles of third country nationals who live and work, or who would like to live and work in the EU. In this episode, you will hear four interviews with graduating students of CEU who come from the global south and perceive that Austrian immigration policy is very harsh and strict for immigrants, even for those immigrants who come here to study and not to reside eternally. First guest is Kuzal, and she comes from Tajikistan. I have some incidents here. Uh, I'm not sure if it's related to my nationality per se, but I'm, I'm sure it's related to me not being the local and not speaking the language. Uh, for example, I wanted to change my glasses and I went to this uh, shop where, you know, I could get new glasses and new frame. And I, I just entered inside since I couldn't speak any German. I just started speaking English and I asked politely whether they speak English or not. And the guy looked at me and he said, you are you are in Austria, why don't you speak English? Oh, why don't you speak German? And I got shocked, I didn't know how to respond to that question. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't I don't know any German. He said, well, I mean, you should learn some German, you should learn some German, why should I speak English to you? You are in Austria, you should learn it. And that really, <laughs> it was so, so, you know, like, it was hurting. Um, I know it was, I mean, I could learn some German, but since it was just my second month or first month here, it's it's unrealistic to expect me to speak perfect German at this point. But but yeah, but also I think I, I do believe I have a right to choose whether I want to study German or not, you know? And yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe they were right, maybe me. I'm not sure, but you know, I faced this uh, treatment as well. And um <laughs> And I actually have a long story how I came to Vienna in the first place. So I came to Vienna. It was such a difficult process. I had to flee. I had to go to Turkey to do my visa to come here. And Turkey is not close to my country. It's it, it's not close at all, right? And uh, so I had the option to go to whether Almaty or Moscow or Turkey. Since Almaty was closed, I couldn't go there. And they did not want me to come to the country because they said, well, uh, you should somehow do it with Tajikistan. And Tajikistan at that point was such a uh, in a such a messy place. And I, I had to go to Turkey and spend two months there on my own, on my own money, because I, could, I didn't have access to CU stipend. Um, yeah, so two months I did my residence permit. It was, and they expected me to provide the statement with the, you know, with money. And I actually have something to do. I have, I have something really important to say about that because it's unrealistic to expect a student from Europe to provide 560 euros in their account monthly and the same month for me, a person who comes from Tajikistan. It's unrealistic. So just to let you know, my mom earns 100 something dollars per month. It's, it's not even counting the taxes we have to pay. My father even earns less than that because he's a public, he's a teacher, teacher in a public university. So to expect the same amount of money from a student from, I don't know, Western countries and from Central Asia, it's just, 
and I don't I don't even know how to how to make it clear for them that you you should understand the economy behind that you should understand the average money that my parents earn you have to understand I'm not working I'm a student I'm just 22 I just going going to master's degree and I think that should be changed that should be radically changed and accept because uh, it was really hard for me to get that money. I, I asked so many people around, you know, I, I asked donors. So it was really hard to come to Vienna, not even speaking the uh, amount of time I had to spend in Turkey to prepare my residence permit. Um, yeah, so it, even here, when I, I came to Austria, they started again asking for money. Again, the same amount, even more than that. They asked money uh, again to provide the financial. But, you know, despite the money that I, that I actually already provided to them in the in the beginning that money was supposed to be also spent by me in turkey you know so it's not like i have separate money for turkey and i have separate money for austria it's just all together and i have to somehow manage it and um and when i came here all that money was already spent obviously on visa on visa fee uh, in turkey leaving and eating you know just basic stuff uh, and i came here and again i had to search for people for money so, and then again, I provided that statement that they actually doubted in the beginning and they were like, okay, can you, like, they, can you send us the updated version of it? And like, it's, it was so messy. Uh, but, but I do believe that, you know, having a, a passport over, of a country that's not that privileged or what we call today is a third world country. Um, it's it's not a very pleasant experience. And even in airport, they sometimes doubt it. They look at your passport, you're from Tajikistan, and they want to open your luggage. But they will never even consider opening the luggage of a, of a person who comes from U.S. I mean, he, if he looks white, you know? Um, I'm not only, you know, I'm not only from Tajikistan, but also I look like person from China or Korea or like, you know, somewhere from um, from Asia, not Central Asia, but from Asia. And I think that even makes it even harder because they always look at me suspicious. And yeah, it's, it's actually, yeah. I don't know. I have so many. I have so many stories like that. Very small things and very big, you know, incidents like that. But yeah, for sure, because I I have this passport of Tajikistan and I don't look white. I look, uh, you know, Asian and stuff. I faced a lot of situations when I was like, you know, I mean, I wish I was white. You know, I know it's not the right thinking, but sometimes when in life you have these situations when you have to provide two thousand euros in your account. When your monthly type, when your monthly salary of your parents is not even, you know, half of it, it's really hard to survive in this world where even visa requires from a student of twenty six, of twenty two years old that much money. It's it's just not right. Yeah, but why do you think Austria is that way? They did you get the impression that this country is migrant friendly? Although there are many Arabs and many, many people from the MENA region in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really noticed here is that if it was a min- um, if it was migrant friendly country, I would see many people walking around together, German and migrants together. What I see here is rather Germans hanging around. Uh, Austrians hanging around and only migrants among each other as if they can find support only among their own people. So yeah, they're not even blending, you know, I'm not sure if they're trying to blend or they just, it's impossible to blend. But I see, I actually noticed that people from other countries like Turkey, Syria, you know, anywhere from Middle East, 
they hang out in their own groups and we have Austrians hanging out. And I, I, I do believe that it's because uh, what, to what services and to what quality of food even and quality of service that Austrians have access to, it's not the same for migrants. So basic example is if the local people would like to, uh, you know, hang out in a place where, you know, like a fancy restaurant, you know, migrants would not be like, oh yeah, let's go to a fancy restaurant because, you know, the money, they work so hard to get the money even for one day. So, no, I don't think it's a, I mean, the services seem to be accessible to everyone, accessible in terms of like, you know, you can, if you have money, you can, if you can get it, but it's not like it's affordable for all. So I think that that's one thing. It's really hard to live in a capitalistic country as Austria. Um, yeah, but I didn't feel, well, also another reason, if, if it was migrant friendly, it would provide more friendly, um, um, attitude maybe, or um, different requirements for migrants, understanding where they come from. So I would, I give you the example with money, you know, their bank account and stuff. It's one of the examples where they could have, you know, thought, okay, you know, this guy is from, I don't know, Azerbaijan, you know? So let's see, what is the situation in Azerbaijan? Let's see, what is the average money? At least look at GDP, please, God, for God's sake, right? It's so simple. Look at it, you know? And it's, it's just, and then you put the same requirements for them, you know, for people from Azerbaijan, from Syria. I, are you serious? I mean, where the hell I'm gonna, I'm sorry, where I'm gonna get this money, you know? Unless I do something, you know, criminal. And then when people do criminal stuff, you know, out of just necessity, let's say, and then they say, oh, these migrants cannot live a proper life, you know? It's all, they, they come to our countries and they mess up. But I mean, you have to understand that it's it's not, you know, it's like, it's like living in a jungle. Everybody survives the way they can. Yeah, so I think it's not friendly in terms of access to services, even this monetary, you know, the requirements and stuff. No, I don't think it's, it's friendly, even though people say that it's, you know, it's a very developed country and we can see that, you know, we can see how everything is provided for people here. Even this, I was shocked by this, you know, the water thing in the, in the uh, you know, outside. Uh, I was really shocked because nowhere in my country you would get that. Uh, it's it's good that it provides very easy transportation free, and stuff. Free PCR tests, free antigen tests. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Nice. But, but it's not like, you know, oh, it's it's not done with a consideration to make easy life for migrants. It's done with a consideration to make an easy life for themselves. So, but if you, if you just, you know, think about what are the services specifically for migrants, can you find any? Nope. No, it's just, you know, it's different when you think about country being developed in country being, you know, providing all the services, but it's, it's not the same as to say that it's, this is a very migrant friendly country, you know? After completing CU degree, it's easier for you to get a job in Europe? No. Um, okay. I will explain why. Um, Did you okay, think so that I, it would be easier? I thought, I thought in the beginning that, you know, I'm going to come here and once I study in CU, all the doors will be open for me. People will be begging for me to, to work there. Um, it's not like I don't have enough qualification. I do believe that um, I worked really hard to get where I'm right now. And I'm sure that many students from other countries, and I'm not going to even hesitate to say that, for example, people from Azerbaijan, people from, um, I don't know, Central Asia, or people from even your country, it's different, you know, the level of education is 
difference. And the, and the effort we put to come here, it cannot be compared to the effort of, of other countries who were, um, uh, you know, geographically closer to Austria or economically closer to Austria. So, so when I came here, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to, you know, get a job and just, you know, live a perfect life. And, um, but it's, it's really, for, for me personally, I feel intimidated. I feel intimidated in the environment where I, I see so many competition and I see people from other countries who studied in, you know, many of my classmates, they studied in universities where like, um, so they studied in science for, you know, they studied, you know, somewhere else, you know, it's very fancy, very well-known universities. They did a bachelor's, which was actually enough for them to get a job. You know, they didn't have to do CEU, but they did CEU. Uh, but many students from other countries, they come from public universities, but they even don't know how to cite papers, to be honest, right? And um, so, uh, and then we come here and we are sending the same materials, which I don't mind. I think it's really, you know, uh, it uh, criticizes our, you know, it's kind of stimulates our thinking and stuff. Um, but now when I'm applying for jobs, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be the first person they're going to pick, you know? I mean, I don't know the... I, I think it has to do all about the thinking. It has to do about, you know, the nationality and how easily they can access to health services, uh, you know, health insurance. How will they be able to, you know, sustain themselves during the work? For example, one of the requirements is, uh, will you be able to provide for us for yourself during the work? So I'm applying for a job in, uh, let's say, in the United States, right? And one of the requirements, will you be able to support yourself? And I'm basically saying no. That's why I'm applying for a job, you know, I need to earn money. So they're like, do you need visa? This is where I really hesitate, but I have to say yes, you know? But when they're gonna pick the person, obviously they're gonna pick the person who would say, no, I don't need. Why? Because it's less paperwork for organization. It's less, you know, this chaos and stuff. So of course they're gonna pick them. Uh, and I and I feel like because of these things, I cannot access to, to uh, good jobs unless it's just in my country. So, yeah, I don't think it made my life, it made my career, you know, the op career options easier. It's also very sad to admit that I'm not alone to say that uh, I feel intimidated around the people who I know come from a very, you know, privileged backgrounds, you know, even speaking English in front of them for me would be like, oh, I know, I know it's, it's my only thinking. I know they're not going to shame me for that. But uh, when you grow up in an environment where knowledge of English, you know, your background, your money, your, even your passport, unfortunately, right now is considered, you really feel yourself like, oh, I should just not better speak, you know? Uh, I heard people telling me, oh, Guzal, just your consideration is just your insecurities, just deal with them. But <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that insecurities have a reason. Insecurities have a cause, you know? So it's not like I just grow up like this or like I was born like this. It's not that, you know, it's it's uh, the insecurities come when you face these small situations like getting stuck in an airport where everybody is passing and you're the only loser in the waiting room 
when the luggage is being unpacked and they search your stuff, personal stuff, and they see very cultural things from your country and they think, oh, is it? So we have this white thing, like the, you know, it's called kurut. It's like made of milk. Obviously it's white. So most of them would be like taking this thing and like, oh, what's that? oh what is this? You know, they would think it's some like narcotics or stuff, you know? So <laughs> in these cases, when you face these kind of things in life, it's inevitable you're going to have insecurities. Both of us, we've talked about it before and we've heard the, the, like many experiences of our friends and colleagues. Um, CU claims to be very diverse and bringing people from different backgrounds and different nationalities and everything. Uh, but when it comes to specific assistance, like giving someone money or giving accommodation, we've noticed some dynamics that are very unfair, um, for instance, to me, because you see people from the developed countries getting accommodation, getting internship fund, let's say, and people from third countries who come from developing countries not getting this internship fund or accommodation that are vital for them to survive. So they have to now, you know, like work extra to get extra cash to survive in Vienna or somewhere else um, after graduation. Have you heard of these stories in your circle of colleagues? And if yes, what what is it, your opinion about this? Um, yeah, actually, great question. Because, well, I think it really depends on what scholarship it is. It's, is it merit, merit-based scholarship or a need-based scholarship? So if it's a merit-based scholarship, I mean, obviously mean you don't have a, don't even stand a chance, you know, because if it's married, obviously people who come from privileged countries, they have more, more uh, experience and they have more, uh, they studied in a very nice universities before they have already like a very nice profile, let's say. So in, in terms of merit based, yes, people from privileged countries may, might be getting more, uh, but I'm not sure. But also, don't you think that when it comes to a merit-based scholarship, as you said, you cannot really compare, I don't want to shame or privilege any other country, but two countries that come to my mind are, let's say, Canada and, I don't know, Syria. Can you compare two people and their merits um, in these circumstances? Obviously, from developed country has more qualifications and opportunity to excel, right? Yeah. No, this is what I was leading to, that, you know, if it's merit-based, obviously those who come from Canada and their achievements cannot be compared to one from Syria. I mean, you know, uh, I I myself come from a a place where uh, being self-motivated and going for chances, you know, for uh, opportunities, and uh, it was really hard. It took for me to just, you know, do it by myself. It was not like environment was, oh, yeah, because I'll go on, do stuff, you know. It was more environment that was dragging you down to culture and traditions so i so i think it's it's likewise it's very hard for people in in syria in the midst of war to do something you know anything they don't want to do anything and i I understand why so i think it's um if you compare merit base it's going to be really hard it's going to be really hard for those who come from unprivileged countries to to get a scholarship but if it's need base which is really rare to see among master degree students because well so that's, that's what I'm, I don't know whether these scholarships were distributed according to the merit or, or need, you know. Um, but unfortunately, it's true. If it's merit based, we don't stand a chance. And um, because not because we don't want to do stuff, it's just because opportunities are not available, you know. I mean, the, 
I think it's only once or twice in my country, in my city, there are any conferences or any like, you know, workshop and stuff. So where should I go? You know, I mean, should I go to another country to attend, a, you know, the conference? It's not possible. I cannot do that. And also, so I think it was shocking to me when you told me that you have to pay so much money to get access to Internet connection. Yes, yes. Actually, I have to pay uh, $100 or $150 to get one monthly access to internet, which is not even like the best, you know. And uh, so it's one salary of one of my parents. So it's really, it's very really expensive. And that's why many people, it's not like they don't want to study. It's just they don't have access to that. I mean, people from the village, 100 they leave this money you know, one month. So they're not going to spend it on internet because it's not something that's so essential, you know, to survive. So, yeah, so I think that's, that has a lot to do about the where we come from. And, um, but yeah, unfortunately also I saw that some of my friends who are from uh, countries like, you know, very developed countries get a free accommodation and you see a person from a very, very poor country surviving by their own, you know, rising this GoFundMe or whatever they have, you know, connections they use. And it's, it's, it was really painful to experience that. I didn't experience it by myself. Um, thankfully, I got the free accommodation. But I, I do believe that so many, so many of my friends who are in the same position as me deserved the same. So they should have gotten the place. And uh, there, were also play there were also cases when the person was not here. The person from a very developed country, I would say, and having a very high position, I would say, I would not name it, you know, I would not name the person. But I should say that, that people from a very, very rich countries having a very nice job, earning a European level salary, having a place in a dorm, but not coming to Vienna, but at the same time, not giving it to another person. That's just crime against humanity. Um, no, it's just exaggeration, but it's so, so not fair. You know, see, you should have regulated, see, you should have said, you know, you're not here anyways. Let us give it to you, to this person who really needs it, you know? So I don't know why it was not, you know, just because it was given to the person in the beginning. I mean, it should be individualized. It should be somehow, you know, regulated. Or we also have uh, heard stories of people getting emergency funds and traveling and, uh, I don't know, having some uh, purchase, going out, you know, when it is supposed to be for basic needs. And we know people, that's the problem, you know. We know people who've been through hardships this year and they had to work and study. And uh, we, like, none of us worked, for instance, like you and me, we didn't work. And we were like, yeah. as we talked before, we barely made it, you know? It was yeah. so hard and it was so intense. And we yeah. combining work with it. Yeah, I agree. I worked like 24 7, 20, 24 to 7. I, I actually studied 24 to 7 and I didn't work. I cannot imagine person working and doing the studies during COVID when we all had mental, you know, and struggles. We all went to depressions and stuff. It's inevitable. So I think working and studying at the same time and doing internship that CEO requires and all, an internship is not paid. Hello? I mean, really? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, <laughs> what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is uh, people need experience, right? But also, uh, 
unpaid internships and doing the same job that other person would do and he's getting paid just because he has a PhD or master's degree. I mean, I'm doing the same quality of job, you know? Why am I not being paid? So I think it should be also different. It should be changed completely. Very, very huge organizations, I'm not even speaking about UN, which has, you know, I mean, unpaid internships at UN, really, seriously. I know we are desperate for experience, but at least, you know, at least meet us halfway because it's not an easy now, you know, just to go and work. We, we are not living in common, we are not living in a very post-Soviet countries, you know, because in Soviet countries we had everything free, like education and stuff. But now we are living in a world where everything goes by money. I mean, it's true. You don't have money, then just sit, you know? What do you think solution could be to this issue? Because I was thinking before that oh, open borders, open society, let these people come in. Uh, but then uh, there's the lack of accommodation, lack of um, access to services, lack of employment, jobs, positions. So where do you see the solution? Well, first of all, I would say having very individualized uh, requirements for visa and for money, um, you know, these bank statements and stuff to countries, depending from where they come from. If the, you know, we know that in the uh, consulates and stuff where they, you know, require this kind of things, they should be people who should know the background of the countries they are working with. So if they are regulating, for example, um, a citizen from Tajikistan coming to Vienna, then there should be someone who is specialist, you know, in a, at least in the economic background of these countries, you know, and, and, and see clearly what is feasible for these people to provide, you know, what is feasible for these people, uh, you know, to in terms of bank statements. So one of the things would be changing and individualizing the visa requirements for countries, depending on the economic, especially economic background. Um, so, and the second thing I would I would say that in terms of employment, I think there should be, uh, you know, at the same time, I don't want to say like it should be prioritized basically to immigrants or different, you know, foreigners because they're just foreigners. I should I believe that it should be you know, like uh, distributed in terms of the of the uh, professionalism and uh, and the knowledge we have. So. I don't know if it's, it would be right to uh, get give a job to a person just because he's a foreigner or because that would be not right, you know, that would not be right. Just because I come from Tajikistan, I should prioritize and because I'm just, you know, like a poor country and stuff. No, it shouldn't be that way. I, th I think it should be uh, according to the knowledge and the experience of the person. But if I have an experience equally to another person from Western countries, I don't want that person to be prioritized over me. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know, maybe open more quotas, you know, uh, create more opportunities uh, specifically to immigrants, not just general, but targeting specifically immigrants. Um, yeah, so I think opening the borders would be very naive to do in a world where we are all facing, you know, terrorism and stuff. It's very scary. It's not right. Uh, but it shouldn't be like, you know, just because I come from Tajikistan, I should be stereotyped to be the one who might be a terrorist, you know? So that's one of the issues I think that we are facing today. You know, it's just not right to look at me differently, to think that I might be a danger or might be an issue. 
when the thought of going back to your country after all of these years that you studied abroad and you know and you learned so many things and obviously you want to go you're gonna you're gonna you know you want to have a better life so i really wanted to stay here and i applied for jobs i applied for many opportunities which is obviously very hard to do during the you know uh during the stay and one of the possibilities was to extend the residence permit and which also has very ridiculous requirements extending and paying so much money really like students at least give one year free you know without any extension without any requirement just give them this time to find jobs otherwise how are we going to find jobs during the studies they think that we are robots we can study at the same time and we can you know go to unpaid internship and then we should find a job all the time i mean even writing cover letter for one job for one job cover letter takes one week or two if you want to really write a good one okay not even speaking about how you should make you know a cv Uh, into you know individualized according to the job you're applying so it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of time and we should also go out we should also hang out we should also walk you know because of this covid stuff we were not even able to go outside so i think i think the whole thing you know the requirements extension is just not realistic it's just not for us i don't know for what people they were designing this roof but it's obviously not for people like us it's not for students obviously um yeah so one of the things that i wanted to add is this and that's why i have to go back home you know now uh, i'm i have no idea how I, i'm gonna come back to vienna i mean some people made it possible some people made it possible to stay here you know extend the you know visa and stuff but also many of them already had money to extend or they secured the job you know because they have a very nice ex- experience and most of them are already very you know uh, 27 28 and you know very experienced they have already the background and for us who are young 23 or 22 and we just you know came to master degree right after our undergrad it's just not just not realistic so i think that should be also changed the extension requirements The next guest of the podcast is Merve and she comes from Turkey. I feel like I'm discriminated like while applying for touristic visa even and before coming to Austria for like studying before my student residence permit I applied in August 5th of the 2020 and I got my residence permit approval after my birthday in like 16th of November 2020. However, I was about I was already like doing like school at that time, so it was just really awkward. My classmates were already in the Austria, like someone from US, someone from like Brazil, or someone from Canada were were there, but like I wasn't. What do you think is the reason for such delays, such challenges for uh, third country nationals like from Turkey? I feel like they try to find an excuse to not to give residence permit just like directly just try to fr- frustrate us to, to come into their country in some way because it, I'm I'm not perfect like on like documenting things when whatever they ask from me because I have like a background I'm a lawyer and like documents are like my thing and I don't think like I did any like mistakes while doing that but they asked for my bank statement for fi- like fifth time not, not just one time like I gave my, my bank details for like 
five times. It was just like a bit bizarre. They literally checked every detail on my bank details to just like how did how that did this girl get the money? Because at first I just I was working as a legal consultant back then, and I just put my work documents as a resource like income for me. But they didn't accept that. Like they literally checked my salary. And they they thought like probably it's not like adding up the money that on the bank account. So then I have to just show my dad as my sponsor. I had to change all all the information for for that. Just it was weird. And after coming to the country, you also have to provide the bank details. Like I, I think they're just kind of seeing like global south as like poor people who who have the who will be a burden for us like in some way. So they just like made an excuse to not to give the residence permit in this way. Yeah. And do you think um, additional characteristics to this, like being a woman or like certain um, ethnical minority or religious minority or something like certain characteristics, do you think this add up as a challenge? Uh, I'm an ethnic minority in Turkey. Like I'm a Kurdish, but I, we don't have any documents regarding to that. Like I just know like that my family is Kurd. So... And the government also doesn't know that. And like the other countries wouldn't know that. But like at that regard, I was lucky because it cannot be like an, any, it cannot have any effect on my status. But like overall, like coming from Turkey and like there are many Turkish migrants in the country, like in their country can cause a problem for them. Like, I don't, I don't even know why, because we are all different individual beings. Like they, they are coming for working or living with their like family getting married or stuff like that but I was a student and I have already limited time in that country and uh, it was always that I will go back to my like the country that I came from so I, I don't think it is a solid excuse to not to give that it's yeah. just bias yeah and do you think those people who came here before as migrants who crossed the borders illegally do you think it's because of them because they set like a very bad tone. And that's why, for instance, you are suffering the consequences now. Yeah, it's probably the refugee situation, like like the border problems, like problems they say it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. Like they, they make an excuse. They use like political fora as a, like in the visa procedure, like that. that's for sure it affects. And yeah, I'm suffering from the consequences. Yeah. And have you ever faced um, I don't know, additional checks or, uh, I don't know, additional differential, inferior differential treatment uh, when you would like cross the borders, let's say, like I, you went to Spain or you came to Austria. Um, have you faced any additional things like restrictions? No, I'm, I'm lucky because because of my gender, but if I were like if I was a guy like in the border who was coming from Turkey, it, it, the guy looks like brunette, like is potential terrorist or potential like danger for them. Like I know like many Turkish guys, like they always like being checked in the border control, but I never faced that type of situation because because of I'm a girl. Like like it's just so rare that I have like po- like you know positive outcome as. A, as being a different gender rather than a like man. It's just yeah, I I never faced like with any type of problems in the border control. Yeah. And uh why do you think because this is the same discrimination as discriminating people against because of their race, because of their sexual orientation, that that it's the same because of the nationality, right? Because we don't choose our nationality. So why do do you think 
uh, this is not as mainstream as other types of discrimination. Do you think it has to do something with that uh, um, reality that people from like US or Canada or France don't face this sort of discrimination? This is such a good point that it's so true. Like <laughs> I got chills while hearing that because because I think like many people benefit actually from the situation and people like us like cannot like get together and like make our voice like heard. And that's the main problem because like majority just doesn't suffer. Like we are like like minorities like actually suffer and we are already exhausted. We are already having like so many problems in our lives in a, on a daily basis to just protect or defend or advocate for, for our rights. So it's just literally on the like bottom of the list because in some way, if you're crossing the border, like if you're coming to Europe, you're somewhat more privileged in the, to compare to the people in your own country. So like we okay we are already have problems but we are we are at some point kind of privileged compared to the other people who stays there so I don't I don't know like in some way we're just like kind of doesn't want to cause any problem because otherwise like it will it will get take our rights to just enter those countries like in some way because you know, like visa procedure, it's totally individualistic, like in all country. Okay, there's EU, like there's EU, like Schengen area, but it's also still, you have to apply from one country. And if that country annoyed by you, by your history, they will just like, not gonna give you that thing you need most. So I don't know, like, I think we are scared from the consequences mostly. Do you think COVID-19 served as an epiphany, like a realization for people from the global north that, uh, because we've, we, we witnessed that people from US, they couldn't come to Europe um, or like people could not move and these small countries who managed to contain the pandemic, uh, they were more successful in this situation and they were considered as like green countries. Do you think this COVID-19 served like an epiphany for these people that oh, okay, I cannot move. My freedom of movement is restricted a little bit. So is there like a problem? I don't know, from your friends, from your own observation, did you get uh, this this impression? I can say that my sister cannot come like to visit me or we, can, we cannot just like, you know, like see the Euro European countries now, but I know, like, I know many other people from like Global North can just like come and visit anywhere they want. So it's just like, it's weird, like they're making ex excuses at like COVID-19, but it's all around the world. And they're just like, you can get tested before coming to that country. It's not just like solid reason to just like ban that country. It's just kind of using excuses like COVID and like banning people from like coming to your country. It's just like they, they waited for that day to come so they can easily restrict like some people from entering their countries. Yeah. Um, and okay, let's see, um, let's jump to the point when you came to Austria. Uh, was there any differential treatment here in the country? Maybe from people, um, I don't know, from your friends or from someone? No, because there are many Turkish people in here. I don't even feel like I'm, I'm in Austria, like to be honest. And like, since I cannot speak the thing? native language. In... <laughs> what? Is it a good thing or bad thing? Uh, like in some way it's bad thing because you know you you want to just experience the country like but maybe like i'm like i'm aware that there are turkish people that's why i mainly focus on that because i know like the language they speak that 
that I can recognize them. But maybe for you or for others, it's not the same. Like, but for me, like I'm aware that they are like there are many people in here from my country, so I don't feel like like I'm in a foreign country that much. So like, and other than that, I cannot like differentiate whether they are discriminated or not because I cannot speak German. So like, it's and. I don't know the mimics or like the general attitude. Like I don't know the Austrian people overall, so like I cannot say that they are discriminative against me. But yeah. like we get like weird looks when we speak English sometimes. Yeah, that's. Just... Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about. Did you feel a bit disintegrated from the uh, local community because of the language barrier? No, because majority speaks English, but like when you, when you're out with your friends and you speak English, you know, like you get the looks from other people, like they speak like different language Why they're speaking English. You you get the look, but I, I don't feel like like the problem is people. I think the problem is government overall. Yeah. But from people, um, uh, from the society, did you get this impression that they're migrant friendly? I think they don't care. Like, like. The, the way that I experience, they don't care like like whether you're migrant or not because like majority in this country is migrant like whether like how much Europe tries to like await for migrants like they migrants build that like countries in Europe they, like not the just like natives and then this is my belief like like without immigrants like there will be like any like Europe so I think not just from Turkey but from all around the world people lives in this in these countries. So they cannot look bad for us. Yeah. Um, and I want to touch upon CU because what I've noticed so far, yes, CU claims to be very diverse um, <laughs> and everything. Um, I want your comment on this, how diverse it is. Uh, and if there are same opportunities um, for the whole community or do you think certain people are more um, privileged than the others. Because I'm asking because um, I've noticed there is a tendency that, um, for instance, dorms, um, people who come from developed countries, they get dorms, but people who come from developing countries, they don't. Uh, same with funds, same with some other opportunities, work opportunities uh, within the campus. So what would be your comment on this? If I have to be fully honest, like I totally agree with you on that, because like I, I feel like CU kind of use like people like me, like from developing countries, from global south, as a spice to their like you know adjustment like environment, but they don't support us as much as we need. They know that we need it because like even though like you know when I applied to you, our like currency Turkish US currency was like six, and then it became 10 and then I talk about them, the situation, it really affects me. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, can you just reduce my, like, can you give like additional financial aid? They, like, they cannot do anything about it. Like, but but there are, there were like empty dorms. Like there were students who are really privileged enough to just like take like rent house while they already offered with a dorm. They didn't really check like who needs financial aid or not. They just gave, I don't, I don't know like better randomly or just whether for the, people from like developed con developed countries. I just, I don't know like how the situation just worked, but when, when you're a student from, you know, like global start you, and if you need like, you know, financial aid, the 
you are a private university and you have budget, you could have just give that emergency funding to the people who need it most, not for like everyone. Like someone just like bought, bought like something expensive, like some expensive call for like himself. And like for other students, it was a rent money for like two or three months. It's just, it doesn't, doesn't add up. Like CU didn't like actually care the financial situation of the students. And like, and my situation is totally dependent on my country, not, not not because I was suffering like there, but because of like my country, the, the money that I gained from my country was like, you know, worthless, like day by day. And they should have considered about like the real COVID-19 effect on like people from developing countries. Yeah, no, I totally agree uh, because um, I know a bunch of people who applied for the emergency fund, who applied for the internship fund, and they um, use this money for traveling or like, you know, going yeah. somewhere else, buying some, um, buying some luxurious things, going out. And uh, yeah, those who need it for basic needs, they, they don't get it. So that's crazy. And do you think after graduating from CU, you have doors open to be employed in Europe? totally not because like even like talking with the professors like like I don't know like I have to start beginning it totally door, doors are not open and I think doors only open for the people from global north and like we are seeing like we are seeing our friends who get just like already found job but like it's not a coincidence that they are all from global north like they're all like already native speaker of English no matter how we like try to prove or like like I don't know just become good at English, we're not going to get those jobs compared to them because they're native. Do you think it's just because of the English language that they are native? Speakers? No, because of the work permit situation too. Because, you know, look, I have to apply for work permit and it's high possible that I will suffer from work permits period like I suffered in student residence permit period too. Yeah. Um, and what do you think could be a solution to this problem. Because I was thinking for my thesis that, oh, we have to open borders, open society. But then I was thinking, what if we open the borders and then a bunch of people come in and there's no enough accommodation, jobs, services to provide these people, it's gonna be a chaos. So now I'm a little confused. But what, where do you think people coming coming for for the job like for economic situations and if there is there will not be a job at there when you open the border they will not come to your country but look for other countries like if you just like give the give the opportunity for them to choose where to live where to work it will it will be good like it's not going to affect all of the, those countries like economic situation I, I don't believe that like we need to like free, we need freedom of movement we need like freedom of like choosing where to live it's just i i don't believe that it will actually affect those countries and many migrants actually works on the jobs that the natives don't want to work so it just like doesn't make any sense and why like someone from england can just find a job in europe easily but i cannot like i will do the same job with them like how is just like justified like what's the main reason for them but not me i truly agree that people yeah those labor jobs uh locals are not locals don't work basically uh, yeah for those jobs um and do you think it has to do something in the european context with the colonization that 
this colonization past and history still uh, makes them look down at people from certain countries? Yeah, that's totally, totally true. Like, I totally agree with this statement. Yeah. And the mindset didn't change. Like, the, they they acting like like it changed, but the, but the mindset, the basement is still the same. But yeah. they, they are good at hiding nowadays. <laughs> and uh, do you see yourself in Europe or you're going to stay in Turkey? I have to go back to my country because of like limited time that they give me. But like one day I want to work at Europe. You know, I have European law background, like, but it's really hard for me to find a job in Europe, like compared to the other people who, who don't have European law background, but they can just like <laughs> easily find those jobs because of the work permit situation. I know like European law, like more like, like almost the same with the European students or European lawyers. Like I studied for like almost, I don't know, like more than five years to give effort to the area, but it's not going to be easy for me. I 100% I know that. I just, maybe I have to work like a couple of years in Istanbul or Turkey and then like save some money because, you know, economic situation. And then after that, I will try my best to come. Let's listen to Mustafa from Egypt. Uh, starting by the process of applying for entering Europe. So that's not necessarily in Europe, but like outside of Europe. But uh, legally speaking, I would be on the jurisdiction of the country I'm trying to enter because I would be in their embassy. So you can say that everyone is treated equally as pieces of shit if that's <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense uh, but there's also um, but there's also differential treatment inside like when you get on to immigration offices or uh, or maybe when you're uh, maybe when you're dealing with some people at some point in uh, in the country so for example, that happened to, to me once at a supermarket, for example. But yeah, so there would be differential treatment, I would say. How was your uh, residence permit process? Because as far as I know, it was very prolonged and challenging and like very demanding when it comes to funding and money um, and timing. I started my application for my residence permit back when I was in Egypt in August, uh, in, but late August 2020. And I got the approval for, uh, for my residence permits in early, early slash mid-October. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it was not, I, I wouldn't say it was easy. So let's put this into perspective. I'm doing a 10 months master's program and I needed, and I had sufficient money to prove that I can stay for the 12 months. But the immigration office, MA35, was asking us for, um, to provide documented evidence of where will I be staying for 12 months. And that's when 
I needed to prove, to tell them where am I going to be staying for July and August, which doesn't make sense because you really just cannot rent an apartment a year in advance for a couple of months unless you have a friend or something. And it's my first time to go to Austria, so I don't necessarily have friends here. I didn't. Um, so, yeah. So I would keep sending them emails once they told me, like, where are you going to be staying for just two months? I keep sending them emails, asking them, like, don't I have enough money to prove that I can't stay there? And, uh, and they don't reply. So I call them while I'm in Egypt, and I tell them that, that doesn't this make sense? I do. Uh, it doesn't make sense. And they tell me, no, we need to know where you're going to be living. So I go to booking.com and I book an apartment for two months. And yeah, and I just send it to them. Of course, free cancellation. Uh, and then I leave the apartment uh, booked until I got my residence permit. But okay, so as soon as I send them the documents from booking.com, they, I call them again and they tell me, we don't accept reservations from booking. And then I start, that's when I started getting frustrated. And then I started telling the guy, so why don't you accept reservations from booking? And he tells me, we, and he says it one more time, we don't accept reservations from booking.com. I was like, why don't you accept reservations from booking.com? It's a valid reservation. You can go to the reference number and check with booking.com and so on. And we got into a bit of an argument. And then afterwards, he was like, normally, we don't accept reservations from booking.com. And yeah, and then I saw, I guess he granted me sort of an exception and he was like, okay, but we're going to accept it this time. Uh, because I had enough money to prove that I can stay. So, okay. But that's ridiculous. If you didn't push, you wouldn't get it. Yes, yes, that's exactly what would have happened. They would have gave it to me for 10 months if I hadn't. But have you also home. noticed that in Austria, there are many loopholes like this, that they do certain things certain way. But if you approach them from a, I don't know, different uh, way, they might do an exception for you. Um and you, necessarily, you don't necessarily know about it, but this way might be way easier than going through some bureaucratic processes. Yes. Uh, so, okay. So something that I, that we had noticed uh, is that if you know the law well enough, they can't really do anything about it. So as soon as... Uh, as soon as the issue of the residence permit was uh, on Austrian newspapers and uh, and on uh, and on news portals and so on, students' residence permits were being processed more swiftly, uh, and that's because they were exploited. But in my case, so whenever they would ask me, like before submitting my documents. Um, I checked the statute of MA35. I don't remember the specific uh, name of uh, 
of the law or the number, but I read it. Um, and that's why every time they would say something, I would rebut by something that is in the statute of MA35. And this is what I would say made my process faster than other Egyptians, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but so there's there's a bit of uh, something else. So I got the approval from the embassy to get a visa type D by early October. And MA35 had told me that my residence permit got approved and I paid while I was in uh, Egypt and so on. Then I come here and then I have to submit the same fucking papers again. Uh, one more time. The exact same papers, only different dates. But if they were already approved in the first place, why are you making me submit them one more time? And what other fee am I paying? Because the website doesn't show this hidden fee. Uh, uh, and I asked those questions and I didn't get answers. Uh, I asked those questions to MA35 and I didn't get answers. And it's just, it, it was just, and those were nowhere to be found also in the state of MA35. Uh, so it was just, Really, I couldn't understand what they were doing. And so if you know the law well enough, it should protect you. But at the same time, there are some things that just don't make sense. Because if everyone's Spain, then they're just scamming everyone if it's not in the law. Unless there are, there's some kind of an amended version. But also the law in and off of itself is, uh, I would say, arbitrary. There is a section that says that MA35 have the authority to request any documents translated into uh, into German. So uh, by definition, for example, a bank statement that could be 26 pages long and that just would have like the like um, an incoming transfer, an outgoing transfer, that would be just the names and the name like of the bank account and so on. And they would want those to be translated into German. They can ask for it. It is within their authority. It is arbitrary, but it is within their authority. Uh, so when everyone would say, oh, this happened to me, they requested this in German, they requested that in German. Unfortunately, it is within their authority, but there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing that maybe someone can do is that they can take them to court and then the court would say fuck off and then afterwards uh, you would appeal and then the appeal court would say fuck off and then you would go to the European Court of Human Rights and that's when maybe they'll look into it but not necessarily but you need someone that is really invest invested into the case you know <laughs> but yeah yeah um, but it's so funny that uh, this law has been like this for I don't know how long, but so many years. And before CU came and CU students, um, it's funny that nobody started the wave of complaining about how ridiculously bureaucratic the whole process is. Although there are so many restrictions and such bureaucratic measures, we see that there is a large um, 
migrant population in Vienna, but also at the same time, would you say that Vienna and Austria in general is migrant friendly? Uh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, because on the one hand, you have a lot of foreign uh, stores, as one may say, or foreign restaurants or different cuisines. It's definitely international. And so if I was, so I, I've been to the UK, I've been to uh, Norway, I've been to uh, Lebanon and Jordan, but I'm not going to take this into consideration because they're not really part of Europe. So let's just put the UK and Norway into perspective with Austria. I would actually lean to the fact that Norway and Austria are a bit different when it comes to welcoming of migrants. Um, Norway doesn't have as much migrants as um, as Austria, but here's here's something that you need to consideration, which is the weather in Norway. It's just something that I don't think anyone from the Middle East would be able to live with it that easily. Uh, but they're very welcoming. I didn't have any me like I saw uh, like a, a racist incident, but I never experienced it while in Norway. But here, on the other hand, uh, aside from MA thirty five and like aside from the immigration issues, because I had issues with the visa of Norway as well. Uh, but yeah, so it was just. Uh, it's just unpronounced nuances. It's just stuff that do not necessarily constitute hate crime, but it's is done on a daily basis, and you really just genuinely have nothing to say about it. It just happens. Like what? And you just um, so, for example, the the I'm gonna bring take into context. Uh, one time, I was into uh, I was in a store in a getting groceries. Normally, you know, there are other shoppers, people with uh, shopping carts, and they would be putting stuff in their shopping carts. So I was standing by a section. I don't remember exactly what I was getting, but I was checking some of the stuff. Uh, and this guy comes from this really old Austrian uh, guy comes from the back and he's pushing a cart and he bumps into me. So my first intuition is that, oh, he's not paying attention because he bumped into me and he's checking something. So he didn't pay attention. And then I go to a different section of the store checking something else. He bumps into me again at the same section. At this point, I'm like, is he doing it on purpose or is it an incident one more time? So I go to a third section of the store and by this point, his uh, his shopping cart is full on, like it has so much stuff inside. And I I'm a light shopper, so like I have a backpack with me, and I just uh, get the stuff that I want. It should not exceed the maximum capacity of my backpack because I don't want to um, I don't want to have to buy another bag, uh, environmental friendly, and so on. So yeah, 
so I have this very few stuff and I'm getting the last item from a third section of the store. And he bumps into me again as a third section of the store. And that's when I realized, oh, he's not, he, like, that's not incidental. He's completely doing it on purpose with his shopping cart. So now I have all of my stuff and I just want to go out. I just want to go to the cashier. I go to the cashier, but so there's a mix up at the cashier. Uh, there are two cashiers at this supermarket. It was Penny. And I'm trying to go into the cashiers as the employee was working in, but the employee was switching from the first cashier to the second. So as I was at the second one, the employee was switching and he points to me to go to the other one. And I go to the other one. But while going to the other one, this old guy also finishes his shopping. And I was standing first in line, but since they were switching, like I was going towards the first line, uh, like the first cashier. And then he pushes his, uh, his shopping cart. It goes over my foot. He just goes on with it. And I don't know, he said something in German, uh, but technically like the shopping cart like went over my foot with its metal. Uh, yeah, it was metal wheels. Uh, it's like, the fuck? Uh, yeah, it, it's not necessarily a hate crime, but it's it's definitely a racist incident. And then, uh, and then I just he he have his, he he got his time to do the whatever his shopping and so on. And then afterwards, uh, he just he was sitting there with all of his stuff because he doesn't have a bag. So he's trying to put all of his stuff into a lot of smaller bags. And I had my very few items holding them in my hands. Mm. And then while going out, he says something again in German. So I insult him in Arabic and then just leave. (laughs) Well, you did good because like if it was me, I would have pushed my car towards him and just leave. I didn't have a car. (laughs) Yeah. I just use my bag. Unfortunately, I would just, yeah, do something else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something inhuman um uh but on that note do you think um other characteristics of third country nationals uh like um skin color sexual orientation um uh, religious affiliation or other characteristics add up to this discrimination i would actually say yes i I, I, like, I worked as an intern for an NGO called Zara. And the main focus of this NGO is hate crimes. So if you have, and I attended a workshop with several other, like so many other NGOs located in Austria that are also working on hate crimes. If you have that many NGOs working on the same issue, then you do know that you have an issue with hate crimes. Um, and Zara was actually going towards starting like a specific project towards uh, hate crimes against Muslims. Uh, so as long as you have those coming up, then there is an issue. They're trying to fix it. But what can civil society do if 
like if it's just embedded into whatever system you have when it comes to immigration as well. So civil society had very little to do, but like you have to start by fixing the entire system. I'm not saying that the Austrian system is bad when it comes to reporting hate crimes because I'm not really familiar with it, but I'm saying that there is systematic racism that you cannot, that you can reshape, which starts by immigration offices to speak another language than German, for example. Do you want like the blue sky, uh, sunshine uh, solution that, that nobody would ever do? Or do you want a more of a pragmatic solution? Rational. Rational. Okay. Also, I was thinking, you know, like, um, I mean, I was not delusional, but I had this um, thought of having this open society and opening the borders. But then I was like, okay, I mean, actually people are going to move in a bunch of people and then not enough resources, not enough accommodation services for them. And then it's going to be a mayhem. So... Um, so where is the where is the rational solution to this matter, so that it doesn't cause chaos? Well, in a way or another, you, you actually like you have this open border policy with other countries uh, of the EU, which which are, is actually which are most of them developed countries. Some of them are not. Um, some of them are developing countries. Um, but yeah, they mean, I mean, they move in a lot, uh, from like Western Balkans, for instance, um, to, um, Austria and some other, um, developed countries of the EU. Um, but still, I mean, for third country nationals, it's way different to even yeah. this Schengen zone, you know? Yeah. So. Like what I was thinking is that if you if you're already leaving the door open for others to move in, but you're basing it on a geographical region or those specific country, isn't that in and off of itself actually some sort of systematic racism embedded within the system? Uh, what would be the solution? The solution. In, a solution that would not solve this problem of issues with uh, would not solve issues with immigration offices, but it would further escalate. It's to actually have closed borders, uh, not 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 a solution at all. It creates more problems, takes us back, but it gives equality. Um, so. It would not be the best solution because it would be taking us back. But I would suggest like uh, easing the process, for example, having an e-system rather than uh, having to deal with all of this. So like you would upload your documents into the system uh, and then the system would give you a time frame. I always... Um, I always like the idea of how can an employer be held accountable to his employee and how can an employee be held accountable to his clients and how can the clients hold the employees accountable to their employer? 
So like it would be a system. Everyone would be held accountable in front of the other one. So for example, if I'm applying for a residence permit and the person that is dealing with my file would be given a deadline to finish that file, I think that would make sense. So like, for example, if they have a deadline of two weeks, otherwise they would be penalized, administratively sanctioned, whatever. Uh, it would be an incentive for employees not to be act, not to work inappropriately and just, yeah, and just do their job properly. Also, Austria just really needs to take into consideration the fact that there are two years, like people studying two years and they need residence permit for two years because the student residence permit is maximum of 12 months. And that doesn't make sense if you're studying a two-year program or even if it's like a bachelor's program of three or four years, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would I have to renew it every freaking year? If I'm already enrolled into this university and if I can demonstrate that I can live for a certain amount. Uh, so, yeah. Another issue would be with the working permits. It doesn't make sense that you have to apply for a working permit, despite the fact that your residence permit allows you to work for up to 20 hours per week. Why do I need to apply for another working permit? And my employer needs to apply for it, not me which takes three months in and off by itself. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> so yeah, it, there are a lot of issues, but like uh, tackling them from a, uh, from a pragmatic perspective, you, you would have to change a lot in the system in and off by itself. The idea of the unreasonableness of giving arbitrary authority to MA35 of requesting any document in German, that's also, that also doesn't make sense. Uh, why would you want every document in German? It's not like, what's wrong with English? I believe every country can issue their document. People can issue their documents in English, but not, maybe not every country, but most countries. But German, on the other hand, translation would be super expensive for a lot of people. So yeah, the arbitrary powers need to be removed. Uh, people, um, MA35 needs to hold their employees accountable for their actions by setting deadlines and actually provide clients with emails to complain on if they were facing issues. No, nice, nice. Great, obviously great ideas. And <laughs> obviously these are things that MA35 and Austria in general, they don't do. MA35 super irresponsive irresponsive you have to literally go and shake them to reply as you're graduating from ceo do you think ceo opened the doors for you to work in europe potentially it's not something that i would 100 guarantee but it's potentially maybe i know for a fact that if i if i was welcomed enough to go back to my country and start working there it would be I like I I would I would be at a really good position, uh, but Europe on the other hand. So my analogy is that if I go back to my country, it would be I would be a big fish in a really small pond. But Europe, 
I would be an average fish in a really ginormous pond. Dude, uh, I hate that analogy. And it's always global people from global south who who um um who say that all the time. And I my goal in life is to prove the opposite that you can be a big fish in in a big pond. Fucking pond. Yeah, but the reality right now is that if I start working here, I'm not going to be a big fish in a big pond. I'm going to be an average fish in a really big pond. Because first of uh, all, you need to get a right to leave, <laughs> to leave it this place. You're so much behind, you know, you have to be twice as good to get a half or even half of a half of what others have. Yeah, that, that's part of the problem. But like, I think with a master's degree, people would be more interested, like with a master's degree alongside my previous work experience, that people would be more interested to hire me. So maybe it's a possibility. Uh, But do you want to work and leave in Europe? Yes, I do. I very much do. The next guests of the podcast did not wish to identify themselves and the country where they come from because of potential risks and complications uh, in Austria. So the subject's voice is altered and every mention of their country is edited out from the interview. And I study international relations. I'm in a two-year program and I'm doing my first year. Have you ever been subject to differential treatment in Europe because you're coming from the Global South. Um, yes, uh, yes, I have been. And first, uh, first thing that comes to mind um, are immigration offices in, in Hungary and in Austria. Um, in a sense that uh, procedure-wise, procedure getting receiving a residence permit has always been more difficult asking a lot of um, documents, including financial proof, um, also also sort of like additional letters supporting, if, even if I have enough money, for instance, how do I have enough money? Why do I have enough money? And all sorts of different questions, which has, um, which has made my life more complicated, obviously. Um, and, uh, And also, uh, for instance, when I was working in Hungary at a sightseeing company, um, there were, as I as I did not speak Hungarian, for instance, I could feel that I could feel discriminated, and uh, it has been verbally expressed a couple times as well, but like even what, what, silent, what? silently. What would they say? Um, well, now, now, um, now, what comes to my mind? Um, it was that I don't know, like like even in my class, uh, 
people who spoke Hungarian would usually like stick like stick with within together like in a group and every time and my me and my friends uh, who are not from Hungary and do not speak Hungarian would want to integrate it would always be difficult and not just in my class like in general in other groups so I was usually I was usually surrounded by people from different countries and not per se locals so like lang- language wise it has been more apparent and this has been more in Hungary than in, than in Austria to be honest um, regarding in this sense but as for immigration office um, office here yeah so mostly mostly that is the case that has been the most apparent um, it is more complicated and financially speaking as well as living expenses are um, are higher here. But the the amount of money that is required is much higher than I would actually need as a student mm-hmm. uh, for one month, and it's of course it's also like quite uncertain how you get it, when do you get it. So it's really difficult to plan when you are in a situation of I don't know reserving your flight ticket or deciding when to when to receive your accommodation and for instance there were there were cases not just me but like with my friends as well that um they had accommodation covered by university however this was not taken into account and we had to show like additional 500 euros or something which is not the money that you just have on the side well for me, for instance. Um, and have you ever uh, faced additional, I don't know, um, struggles because you are a woman or do you think people get additional burdens like third country nationals when they are women or there are certain uh, other characteristics like they're minorities, mm-hmm. sexual minorities? Yeah, definitely. Like, take, take the job market, for instance. It has been, like, here, for instance, I've been looking for a job for over four months now, but but nothing. And uh, apparent reasons I've also received are the work permit, for instance, which would take, I don't know how long here, and people are not willing to do that. But it's not just like, it's not, it's the system. The problem is with the system that, yeah, if you are, if you're not an European citizen, then you need to get a work permit, even if you work for like part-time. And you also have been to the US. So do you think um, immigration process to uh, US is much more lenient than in Europe? Um, I cannot really speak for it because like in the US I went for the exchange program and I had much less responsibilities and I had the full scholarship and I basically I just had to go to for the interview and I was not I was not bothered by this procedure so I cannot I cannot compare because yes I've been there but it was different and this time um, as it was like in Hungary for example for bachelor and then for master it's different because my financial situation is different I had to do a lot of things much more independently than when it's part of an exchange program so that's also yeah that's also different when there is when there are two countries involved and it's sort of on a governmental level this sort of bilateral agreements and then the process is much smoother 
But if you just come from a country and you just want to, I don't know, according to your merits and I don't know, you have enough background because, well, apparently you managed to be enrolled in this university and receive a good scholarship. So even if you're in this situation, the process yeah, has been has been difficult here. So I cannot quite speak for the US in this sense compared to it. Um, and do you think CU opened doors for you to work in Europe, like to get a job smoothly in Europe? Um, that's a difficult to say. Plus CU is a private university. And um, of course, in terms of um, in terms of the, the knowledge and sort of what experience you get, and then I mean, yeah, then it's up to you how you use it. But per se, per se, like university opening a door, I think that's more sort of a louder statement. And yeah, I'm not yeah. sure how to how to respond to that but of course like being here being surrounded by a lot of people from different nationalities yeah um and and yeah professors and everything of course of course this diversifies your way of thinking and your resume and so on and of course it's helpful but um but yeah there is no lottery ticket the scholarships what i've heard that it's actually u.s nationals not really receiving scholarships and they had to take they have to take loans and uh, that's what i've heard of it and yeah. not necessarily that it's given but of course financial background uh, speaks for it but CU is not as diverse in terms of i don't know it's national relations is not as diverse um yeah, it's quite it's quite focused on yes, Eastern Central Europe. Even from no even from like North America, even from the US, we don't we don't have that many people present and then global south and like Latin America, Africa, not really. So it's not as diverse. But as for the as for the treatment, I cannot speak for it because what I know that yeah, there are people who are of course financially that's more stable and they can afford and then there are people yeah from the us for instance who take a lot of a lot of like loans and then they have to pay it off so i don't necessarily see the and yeah and then there are people of course and then the CU gives out different scholarships so according to exactly what the what scheme it's organized i don't know but it's it's the lack of yeah, lack of funding is yeah something that we can say. But um, in this sense, treatment I cannot see okay. as uh, much because like of course the financial situations of families and individuals are different. But as for discriminatory policy, I don't see in this sense. And would you say that Austria is migrant friendly? Um, I do not. I do not think that that's the case. Um, because, because of like, even just take, um, I don't know. Okay. Students in general, are general, I don't think Australia is student friendly in terms of, uh, in terms of policies and like transport ticket, for instance, and I don't know, age limitation to 26, which is not only in Austria, but in this case, it's discriminatory, but uh, yeah, as for as for like in general, now I try to think of an, now I try to think of an example, but definitely not. And the first thing is again immigration office, and if you look at who has the problem with immigration office, it's always 
there were nationals and India. Yeah. And according to the reasoning that I already mentioned with you in terms of yeah, financial requirements and and all those extra documents and hustle and stress that it causes. Um, well, solution is hard to say when the central concept is a nation state and sort of everything revolves around that and how um, privileged nations have have sort of like built their ideas and their wealth and everything around it. And it's hard to, it's definitely hard to bother the, uh, bother the status quo in that sense. Um, but, but I mean, I guess uh, sort of like maybe, um, Maybe sort of I don't know having more minorities present in 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 like government and more like prominent roles and then public public being although public has been supportive in a sense but like it's I don't know measure measures and everything comes from government right and if the government continues to sort of be ruled the way it is and uh, and based on the values that it is and not what they present mm-hmm. um i mean if that doesn't change then i don't i don't see i don't see much much of a solution but it's also like international organizations and how their role it has actually been diminished and how nation states are taking over more in terms of like covid crisis for instance it's more of a country like on a country level and what countries decide and they actually detached from their international responsibilities per se so that's that's actually a really bad trend that we are heading towards so probably reformation of international organizations and um and bringing forward this sort of like diversity and immigration and how that's actually important for countries for receiving countries and not and not being like oh please don't do not receive migrants because they are stealing our jobs or whatever and like yeah take Hungary's case for instance that has been yeah that has been sort of the mindset that the country has been revolving around so mm-hmm. I guess stronger sense of international community and uh, and I don't know. Yeah. So, but this is something that would take that would take quite a long time. But like, yeah, um, if if the progress doesn't happen little by little, then it's not going to happen at all. So I, I don't I don't see any transformational sudden change happening. But but sort of yeah appreciating and seeing the contribution that immigrants bring to the existing nation, national states then national states then i guess that's sort of a step to step to take and then move on from there thank you for taking along you're listening to the podcast Challenging the Passport Privilege, and my name is Luca. Let's hope that one day we will all be able to travel without restrictions that are imposed on us right now because of our nationality, race, morphological or physiological features, passport, foreign sounding names, gender or religious denomination. Thank you for listening.
Challenging the Passport Privilege. This podcast is produced at Central European University in Vienna, Austria. 